0: So I'd I'd like to just kind of speak a little bit about fasting this morning and prayer um, as a part of our Christian tradition fuse. If you'd like to leave as well now, please, you can do that and go upstairs. Um, But I I really just want to talk about fasting in this way, um, that it really is a discipline, a spiritual discipline for us, but it's also a source of grace for us in our lives, and it can be a great blessing. All right? So I've titled this message, A Spiritual Discipline of Grace for Our Blessing, and uh, fasting really is that. But it's just to kind of set the tone, set set the background this morning, you know, our our culture is one of a consumer culture, Uh, our world is full of pizza huts, McDonald's, restaurants of every kind. Uh, we live in a world of excess, of huge financial um, prosperity for, for many, and on the other hand, great, great poverty for other people. But generally in the West, we have everything that we need to satisfy every physical desire, and um, fasting seems a little bit out of place and out of step in, the, in, in terms of the culture in which we live. But I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that fasting is a key spiritual discipline. And like I said, it's a means of blessing, a means of grace to us as God's church. But we've lost, largely lost the practice of it and set it to one side. And I think that's for a number of reasons. I think, firstly, there's been a response to the ascetic practices that were so prevalent, particularly in the Middle Ages and a little bit later. And um, it was horribly abused by the church in those times. And even in some streams today, like Anglicanism, where fasting is practiced during Lent, for example, uh, so it's it's it can be easy for us to kind of lose the reason of why we do things, and then they simply become traditions that we kind of either partake in or don't. And I think there's something of the heart that God wants to breathe back into the practice of fasting that we need to think about this morning. And I, I also want to say that many of us have become convinced that if we don't have three large meals a day, and numerous snacks in between the meals. The meals um, we're going to somehow starve, right? In our Western culture, and it's undeniably true that uh, there's a growing growing problem in our culture with um, uh, obesity because of unhealthy overeating and in- inactive lifestyles. And uh, we need to bear that in mind as well. And having said, All of that, it's also true that recently, I've noticed in the last number of years, that the practice of intermittent fasting as in a way of controlling your, your intake and helping with weight loss and general health is becoming more popular. And that's a very positive thing. But again, that's not biblical fasting. It's not the reason that the Bible encourages us to fast or how the Bible encourages us to fast. And lastly, I want to say by way of introduction, that our culture believes that it's a positive human virtue and even a human right to satisfy every physical need, including the need for food, the need for sex, the need for relationship, and any other pleasure that we desire. It's our human right. It's a, a virtue that we need to celebrate. And our culture very much thinks like that. And into that culture, the Bible speaks... And the Bible is still for me the supreme authority of my life, and I hope for you too. The Bible is the supreme authority in your life that speaks into your life, in every area of your life, to help you bring perspective to what culture says. All right? I hope so. I hope that's how we view the Scripture—that we have a high view of Scripture—and it's not just, "Oh well, you know, the Bible says this," but it's a little bit old-fashioned, and I don't really, mm, I, you know, I care more about about what other people in our culture say. I think we need to hear voices in our culture, but above all, we need to hear God's voice into our culture through His Word by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. And I'm absolutely convinced of that, and so um, just to. As we think about fasting, um, just, just to remind you that in a medical sense, if, if you're afraid it's going to do you any damage, uh, you can go without food for 40 days before your body starts to starve, all right? So there's lots of room in that context to just do three days of fasting together. Right, no, none of us is going to die. None of us is going to get unwell because we fasted. And, of course, we we can have a look at great characters of the Bible who regularly practice fasting, Moses, David, Elijah, Esther, Daniel, Anna, Paul, Jesus, of course, and in, in the church tradition since then, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, John Wesley. Jonathan Edwards, all these people, Charles Finney, regularly fasted. And I think it's a great inspiration to us and a great challenge to us as well. So I want us today to think of fasting, and I want to encourage you to think about fasting with me as a discipline and an important means of grace in your life, and a part of being a fruitfully spiritual person involves fasting, and it can be a great blessing to us, right? And I'd rather think about it from that perspective than, oh, this is some tradition that we need to observe. Are you with me? So we want to look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, we want to look at how fasting changes us and what it does for us as we fast, all right? I'd like to look at those three things. So what is biblical fasting then? Having said all of that as introduction, well, John Wesley said this, the great Methodist preacher, he said, some have exalted religious fasting far beyond all scripture and reason and others have utterly disregarded it. Yep, I think he's right. So we can fall into one of those two extremes, and we don't want to do that. Fasting is simply this. It's the voluntary abstinence from food for a spiritual purpose. And that sometimes includes fasting from water as well, but less often the case. And so as we seek to understand um, what biblical fasting is, I just want to also say what it's not, all right? <laughs> because sometimes it's helpful to do that when you're thinking of trying to understand something. Well, what isn't it? Well, it's not a, it's not a... It's not a hunger strike, all right? Fasting is not a hunger strike. We're not kind of trying to get God to do stuff for us, so we, we're fasting in a hunger strike kind of way. We're not trying to make a statement. We're not trying to make any polit- political statement or attract attention for some good cause. That's not the reason why we fast. It's also distinct, like I said, from fasting for health reasons and trying to get your diet under control or cleanse your body. Um, and for some, it still seems an unfamiliar kind of practice, and we've relegated fasting to something that other religions do, like the Hindu tradition fasts, or the Muslim guys have um, Ramadan each year, and somehow Christians don't think of fasting as part of spiritual practice for Christians, and we've relegated to kind of a, to the distant background of our lives rather than being at the forefront of our lives. And so I want to just say in terms of the Bible, the Bible speaks about fasting as a normal Christian practice that God encourages us to regularly practice together. And there are three kinds of fast in the Bible, the normal fast, which is simply abstaining from all food, uh, but not water, and this is exemplified by Jesus, for example, in Matthew chapter 4, when he begins his ministry, it says, after he had fasted for 40 days, He was hungry. It's interesting, isn't it? Medically, we know after 40 days, your body actually starts to starve, and you feel hunger pains in a different way. So after Jesus had fasted for 40 days, there was a physical thing that happened, and uh, he was really hungry, (laughs) like all of us would be after that process. All right. So that's the normal fast, or partial fast. This refers to the example of someone like Daniel, Uh, where there was a restriction to the diet, but it's not total abstinence from food. So if you remember the example of Daniel, it says for three weeks, uh, and I'm quoting Daniel 10 verse 3, it says, He ate no delicacies, no meat, nor wine entered his mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. So Daniel had a partial fast where he restricted something of the intake of food, and he only chose to eat certain foods, and you can fast like that as well. And then there's the third example, biblically, is a total fast. And there are numerous examples of this in in the Scripture where no food or water is taken. And we read this of uh, Esther in Esther 4.16 or Paul in Acts 9. And um, the Scripture says that Moses and Elijah both fasted like this for 40 days. Now, that is is, uh, quite a thing to claim to make. That is simply impossible without the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God to do that. Yeah, but that's what it says, and you can read that in Deuteronomy 9, uh, verse 9, or 1 Kings 19:8. And then we also know from the Old Testament that corporate fasts, where people fasted together, were called at various times. So God's people were all called together to fast at various times, and the most well-known example of that is Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, which I will talk about uh, a little bit later, or in a time of national emergency. Like in Joel chapter 2 or 2 Chronicles 20 with King Jehoshaphat when he faced this incredible army and he didn't know what to do, he called the people to fast to hear God's heart. And uh, I think fasting in times of national crisis can be incredibly powerful. Uh, As you know, I'm an immigrant. I came from South Africa. And before the first elections were held in South Africa, we had a terrible time of extreme violence. And it was really not a pleasant time in our country. Bombs were going off all over the place, and it was a time of fear in the, in, in the country. And um, the church that I was part of as a student, we decided to fast and pray for 40 days, which we did. We fasted and prayed for 40 days to pray for the country, and we did a Daniel fast. So we kind of had no, we had uh, uh, liquids, no solid food. And it was an incredibly powerful time in the, in the church's life and also as we prayed to God for the country. And similarly, before the election, the church I was part of in Bryanston, we did a three-week three fast, again a Daniel fast, where we prayed to God and said, Jesus, we need you to come through before the election happened. And it was amazing. Everyone was expecting violence to happen and that people would kill each other before the first vote was cast and all over the nation, there were, there were, there were um, testimonies of Christians fasting. And even the newspaper said at that time, it's a miracle that no life was lost in the run-up to those elections. Yeah? God can use fasting in a powerful way. I'm sorry, I, you know, I don't like people that, um, it's not I don't like people. Um, no, it came out wrong. So We are always looking back and saying it was like this. I I don't want to do that, but that's part of my life, isn't it? It's part of my journey, and I wanted to share those examples of fasting with you um, because they were incredibly powerful in terms of my life, the church that we were involved in, and God spoke powerfully in an amazing way into the nation through fasting. So I want to encourage you, as we think about fasting, that's... All examples of what God can do and how God can use fasting powerfully. Secondly, I'd like to answer this question: Is fasting a command? Is it a command? <laughs> There's no biblical command that <clears throat> commands regular fasting, but I found this interesting. You know, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 27. He says, "Because I am free from the law, because I'm free from the Mosaic law, I am free to fast often." Isn't that interesting? Because often we kind of like approach things from, well, if I'm not told to do it, I'm not going to do it. But Paul's view was, no, actually, I'm free from the law. I'm living under grace. The law says I should do this. But because I'm free from the law, I'm under the grace of God, I'm free to do these things as often as I choose. Amen. And so he had a very different perspective, and I believe it's because he knew that fasting was a means of grace for him. It was a means of grace, and I'm going to look what that means. Um, and so he chose, he chose to feast, feast, fast, often. What about Jesus? I do believe in feasting as well, by the way. I love feasting. But we're not talking about feasting this morning. We're talking about fasting, all right? Jesus also taught his disciples to fast. We see clearly in Matthew chapter 6, verse 17, and he even says that, if you fast in the correct way, there's a great reward for you. And we need to think about what that reward looks like. But Jesus, this is the promise that he has. He says, when you fast, in other words, he's expecting us to do this as a practice. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. That was the, that was the Jewish tradition. You put sack, sackcloth on your back, ashes on your face so everyone could see you were fasting. Uh, and he says, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Isn't that beautiful? So God looks at the heart. He's not interested in the outward thing of everyone knowing what we're doing. No, just get on and do what God's called you to do. If He's called you to fast, fast, wash your face, don't look miserable. Oh, I'm fasting. Don't, don't let people know. Just joyfully go about your business as much as you can and pray, and Father in heaven will see and reward you. Amen. What a great promise. And Martin Luther said of this passage, it was not Jesus' intention to reject or despise fasting. Rather, it was his intention to restore proper fasting. Come on. Let's do the things that God with the right attitude, the right heart, not out of tradition not out of a sense of duty, but out of love because of the grace of God poured out on our lives. Amen? Come on. And so here, I just want to reiterate, Jesus' testimony here in Matthew shows us the main themes of what it means to live a life of Christian devotion. When you give to the poor, when you pray, when you fast, three keys for us if we want to become disciples of Jesus. When we give, when we fast, when we pray, this is how we should do this. And so I want to put it to you this morning. I thought about this phrase quite a lot to try and motivate us. I want to define what I'm trying to say this morning about fasting in the following way. Fasting is a grace-motivated obligation just as a grace, there's a grace-motivated obligation to give to the poor and to give to God and to pray. Does that make sense? It's a grace-motivated obligation. It's not a command, but God would lo- love us to respond out of love to do these things. And so it's a practice that we give ourselves to, which is motivated by love for God and His people, rather than being motivated by compulsion or a sense of duty, or we feel God is commanding us, so out of that place, we do it. Does that make sense? It's grace-motivated. It's, it's because, oh, I love you, Jesus. This is going to be good for me, having said that we're going to look at f- uh, four things that, in, uh, that uh, I think it, it is uh, how it, it is good for us and just want to finish this section by a second thing that Jesus said about fasting, which was in response to a question by the disciples of John the Baptist, and perhaps this is the most important thing that Jesus says about fasting it's found in Matthew chapter nine verse fourteen, and it says this: when John's disciples came and asked him. How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus, there's something wrong with this. I mean, they're not very religious, your disciples. They don't seem to fast. What's wrong with them? And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. Yep. Yep. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth onto an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour out new wine into old wineskins, for if they do, the skin will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. So what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about his kingdom being inaugurated. He's talking about a new kingdom that was near, It was right present with them, It it come in power. My kingdom has come. That's what he announced through his life. And he was saying, we we celebrate this now, but the time is coming when I will be gone from you, and then you will need to fast when the bridegroom has gone. And we in the, at the church right now are in a period where we're waiting for the bridegroom to come back. Yes? And so it's appropriate right now that we, we do fast. We do seek God. We do We do ask Him to speak to us because this and we don't do that in a, a legalism of the old covenant or the old order because His grace has changed everything. But we do do it because we want God to speak to us and change us and make us more like Jesus. Amen? So it seems clear that Jesus expected His disciples to fast after He had ascended to the Father. Third question I'd like to answer, why do we fast? And here are the the, the reasons of... God's grace being released to us as we fast. First of all, the first grace-motivated reason why we fast is because fasting simply focuses us on God. Uh, I've said today it is a discipline, but it's also a wonderful means of grace. It's also a great blessing that helps us to be fruitful in our lives. We can't fast for the wrong motives. It needs to be initiated by God, and it needs to be ordained by God. We can't fast because of what we hope to get out of fasting. It's not a transactional relationship. God, if I do this, if I fast and I humble myself and I pray, then God, I'm expecting you to do that. It doesn't work like that. Even if we're expecting good things, even if we're expecting for breakthrough in um, salvation or prayer or signs and wonders, you can't fast on the basis of, God, if I humble myself and I do this, I'm expecting you to do that. It's a transactional relationship. That's not how grace works. We simply do what God calls us to do, and we trust that in His mercy and His grace, He's going to lavish His blessing on us. We don't say, God, I've put in my five pence, and I'm expecting my five pence back out in this way. Uh, we predetermine what we want to see out of the way. that No, it doesn't work like that at all. Remember Acts 13 verse 2. I love this. It says, while the disciples were all together, and they were worshiping and praying and fasting. That's the right order. Worship, prayer, fasting is part of that. Absolutely. It's a humbling of yourself. It's a reliance on God. But as we worship and we pray and we fast, God speaks and He says and He does. It's beautiful. That's the way we should approach it. Uh, Let me again quote Wesley. I have Methodist roots, but that's not why I'm quoting John Wesley. It's because it's part of my reading. Uh, It just says that he said this, First, let fasting be done to the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on Him. Let our intention be this, and this alone, to glorify our Father who is in heaven. That is the only way we will be saved from loving the blessing more than the blessed. Yes, we want to love Jesus. We want to love God more. That's why we're doing this. It's not because we want something out of it. No, we want Jesus. He is our great reward. Amen? And the second reason that fasting is a means of grace is that it's a way of humbling ourselves. It's a way of humbling ourselves. There are many scriptures to support this. Here's just a couple. Matthew 18, 4. Jesus says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What about Matthew 23, 12? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Or James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. Yep. Or 1 Peter 5, verse 6, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He might lift you up in due time. It's beautiful. There's always a promise with God. If we, if we obey Him and do what He wants us to do, he will, he will bless us. He will exalt us. But we don't go after the blessing. We go after Him, and blessing comes as we go after Him with all of our hearts. Amen? And so, do you notice in those scriptures, the responsibility to humble yourself lies squarely on, on you and on me. It's humble yourself, uh, the scripture encourages us. Um, and it's, to, to, to say God humble me is almost unbiblical because the reply of God is always humble yourself. Now, I've made many, many mistakes in my life, and I've, one of the lessons that I, I have learned is that it is wise always to humble yourself it is wise. It saves you a lot of pain. Yeah? Because I've seen in my life, when I haven't humbled myself, and when I've been arrogant, you know what God does? (laughs) He allows circumstances in my life to change me, and that is incredibly painful, isn't it? Where God says, okay, my son, I love you so much, you are just being an absolute pain right now. And I'm going to, you won't humble yourself, so let me let some things happen in your life that are going to force you to look at this thing squarely in the face, and you're going to have to change. And so I've had some incredibly unpleasant things over the course of my 60 years that I've had to look square in the face, and it would have been easier and much less painful if I had just humbled myself. Yes? So let's Let's take that to heart, all of us. It's better to humble yourself than to be humbled by God, all right? When you're humbled by God, it is incredibly painful, and none of us want to go through that. So let's take the initiative. First, thirdly, fasting is a means of grace as it reveals the things that control us inwardly. This is so important. I mean, especially in our culture, um, We want to be be transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. We want to to become more like Him. Isn't that true? But we can often cover up what is really inside of us with food, good things, and many other distractions and every kind of pleasure. And uh, the thing about fasting is when you are hungry, some of those things begin to surface, don't they? When uh, it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, you haven't eaten the whole day, then what happens? You get a bit grumpy, isn't it? And then suddenly your wife says to you, I think you need some food. Isn't that true? Because when you're a little bit hungry, then the sort of anger comes to the surface more easily and the short answers come to the surface more. And you're just a little irritated when, you don't, when it's rumbling in your stomach. Isn't that true? It brings to sur- the surface all of those things that we try and just push down by many covering them over with many other good things. And so that's why fasting is good for us. It's a means of grace. It's actually God's kindness to show what's still in the heart that we can get it out and deal with it, that we can become more kind and loving and patient even when we are hungry. (laughs) Yes? All right. I can see this message is going down really well. (laughs) Fourthly, (laughs) fasting is a means of grace to us because it helps us keep balance in our lives. I found this also. We often get distracted by the non-essentials in our lives. We quickly crave the things that we do not need, really, until we are enslaved by them. Does that make sense? We can be so enslaved by the things that we don't really need. And Paul said this amazing thing in 1 Corinthians. We're going to get to chapter 6 in a couple of weeks' time. But he says this, All things are permissible but I will not be enslaved or mastered by any of them. Isn't that wonderful? All things are permissible. Yep, there's some things we can do with our lives. We've got free will, free choice. We can give ourselves to a lot of things. But I'm not going to be enslaved by any of those things. I'm not going to be mastered. I'm going to be in control of this body that is being led by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look about that a bit later. And then he also says in 1 Corinthians 9, I pummel my body to subdue it. Or David said in Psalm 35, I afflict myself with fasting. This is not ascetism. This is not not kind of someone flagellating themselves because they want to suffer. No, this is a discipline. This is a means of grace because both Paul and David knew that it brought them freedom spiritually. It brought them freedom from things that controlled them physically. And as they sought God with all of their hearts, they were free from those things, and He changed them from the inside. That's what fasting does. And so the Bible gives us many examples of how we can humble ourselves. I don't, I'm, uh, How long have I been going? Okay. I, I want to just um, look at some Old Testament examples and then some New Testament examples. Um, I've mentioned Jehoshaphat already, but the other great Old Testament example of uh, fasting is obviously the Day of Atonement, um, which the Jewish nation calls Yom Kippur, And you can read about that in Leviticus 16, uh, from verse 29 to 31. But the Jews have kept Yom Kippur for three and a half thousand years. Um, And we also read that in the New Testament, Paul in Acts um, 27, it's describing his journey to Rome by sea. And it says, much time had been lost and it was dangerous to sail. And now it was after the fast, which means, this is speaking of the Day of Atonement, which falls at the end of September um, through to the beginning of October, and uh, this was an amazing, amazing um, thing for Jewish people. It was the most holy day in the Jewish ca- calendar, and the fasting was in response to something that God did. All right, so the priest would go into the holy of holies, who would offer up a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, and that was celebrated on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, celebrating the atonement, and people entered in. The way that they entered in was by fasting. That's how they made it real for them. They, they, they recognized what God had done, and the, process, the response to that was fasting in the, in the way that the whole nation fasted. And so, the atonement, in a sense, was only effective for those that entered in, those who, who accepted what God had done uh, for them. In other words, God had initiated something and done His part, but there was a response from the people to make it real for them. And so I'm saying this, we are not saved by fasting. We are not uh, earning God's favor by fasting. We are not saved by fasting at all. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's how we are saved. Amen? And all, all we do is we are now responding to that grace which has been poured out. So what a famous, famous scripture, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. That is our message. That is the gospel. God has done His part. He has sent His Son. Grace is available. Grace is available to all who will believe and put their faith in Christ Grace is available to those that believe. So there's initiation by God. He initiates everything. Our response is simply, we believe. Yes? So That was demonstrated in the Old Testament in Yom Kippur, and in the New Testament, we see that so powerfully in the life of Jesus. And so for me, it's an essential nature of fasting. It's renouncing the natural. It's putting to death the body. And it's invoking God's grace, God's supernatural power in our lives and saying, God, I want you to do all of this in me. And as I humble myself, as I seek your face, speak, empower, give me grace to live this life. That's why we fast. And so there's even, lastly, the Old Testament examples of how fasting can change the destiny of an entire city or nation. I mentioned what happened in South Africa, but we know, for example, Jonah in the city of Nineveh. As the people heed Jonah's warning and repent with fasting and turn back to God, what happens? God relents, and He doesn't destroy the city. What about the book of Esther? It's a total crisis in Israel, and something that they'd never faced up until that point in their history. Uh, They were living under the power of the Persian Empire. They were absolutely oppressed, and... um, there was a crisis, and uh, Haman, who's this guy, comes against the, the Jewish people, and he says that he wants them wiped out. He wants them obliterated. And uh an amazing story of Esther. And as, as the people turn to God in fasting and prayer, God intervenes and saves them from this destruction from the Persian, Persian uh, kingdom. What about Joel, Prophet Joel, exhorting exalting us to come before God in prayer and fa- fasting? And what is the promise? God will pour out, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that's exactly what is quoted in Acts chapter 2 by Peter. And he says, this day, this has happened, what Joel was speaking about. We now see the demonstration of the power of God being poured out on God's people. Every man, every woman, and every child now has his spirit available to them. Amen. So lastly, I want to just close by looking at Jesus and then what fasting does for us so good to remember that fasting was absolutely part of Jesus' ministry and uh, part of the New Testament church practice. And if we want to really have the power and effectiveness of Jesus' ministry and the New Testament church, I think we need to be careful in observing as best as we can what the New Testament says in terms of Jesus, the practice of His life, and the early church. And, and certainly fasting was part of that. And we read in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4 that Jesus fasted. And there was a number of critical experiences in his life that he went through before his ministry began. And we know that it says the Holy Spirit came upon him as a, like a dove and declared him to be God's son in, in Matthew 4, that he was the Savior of the world. And it's after that happens that he's ready to face the tempter, the evil one, uh, Satan. And so he's led into the desert by the Spirit. And he doesn't go immediately out of this declaration of him being the Son of God into his ministry, but he goes into the desert, led there by the Holy Spirit to face the evil one, and he overcomes the devil as he fasts and prays. And he has this amazing confrontation, and he comes out victorious. And I want to suggest to you that if if there are battles in our own lives that need to be overcome, that we feel incapable of doing ourselves, it's good to ask God, the supernatural God of the universe, to help us. And to, uh, to say, God, I can't do this alone. And that's what prayer is. is saying, God, I can't do this alone. That's what fasting is saying. Uh, God, I can't do this in my own strength. I need you. I need you to intervene in this situation. Amen? And so, why did Jesus fast? If he was perfect, if he was sinless, if he was the Son of God, why did he fast? If he was without sin and unable to sin, why did he fast? I want to just suggest a couple of things this morning. Firstly, he is an example to us in all things, and He is the example to us in all things of humbling Himself. Yep, He chose to humble Himself. The Son of God, King of the universe, chose to humble Himself under God's hand so God could have His way in His love. Secondly, that he, he gave Satan every advantage, He was alone, He was hungry, He was tired, and He had every occasion to give in, and yet He overcomes Satan, and the victory is even the more glorious because he did that while he was weak, while he was hungry, while he was lacking sleep. He overcomes the devil by the power of the word. Amen. That's the second reason. Thirdly, I think he's he's, he's sanctifying fasting, and he's also making it uh, recommending it to us as his disciples. He's saying this is an example I want you to follow. And finally, we can see the result of his fasting in Luke four fourteen. It said when he went into the desert, he was full, out of, full of the Spirit. And when he comes out of the desert, it says he is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Something happened in the desert. When he overcame all those temptations, all those uh, things that the devil said, these things can be yours, the glory can be yours, power can be yours. He overcomes that, something happens, and when he comes out of the desert, he is now in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Son of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a different level in his life. Amen. And so that can be true for you and for me. If we want to have supernatural power, there's a means of humbling ourselves and through prayer, releasing something of God's anointing through us to touch the lives of others. And Jesus said this, and we often like to quote this, John 14, 12, you will do greater things than me. Have you heard that preached many times? Yeah, and that's absolutely true. But note where Jesus started. He started with prayer and fasting in the desert overcoming the evil one by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he comes out and does great things. There's no shortcut in the kingdom, is there? It comes by the power of the Spirit as we work with God, as we open our hearts, as he transforms us, then we start to do amazing things. Bearing in mind, I want to say that, bearing in mind all of us said about it's not a transaction that happens. Yeah, We don't go in with our expectations already of what God is going to do. And um, what about the New Testament church? Well, in Acts 13, the first four verses, we read about the amazing church in Antioch. I love the church in Antioch. It's a multicultural church. It's people from all over the world all come together in this amazing place. I love it as a picture of of the modern church. And there it says there were leaders from all over the world who were ministering to God by prayer and fasting, And then as they're in the midst of this time of prayer and fasting, God speaks. They receive revelation. God says, this is what I want to happen. And we know what the story is. What does the Holy Spirit say? Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. I've got a job for them to do, and I want them to do it. And they get sent out from, from Antioch to go and do their apostolic ministry. And so here, in this sense, there's revelation that comes supernaturally when the people are worshiping, praying, and fasting, and humbling themselves. God speaks. Boof. Amazing revelation that is supernatural about someone's future. Yeah? and God can do that with us. He can speak amazing things into our future as we seek Him, humble ourselves, and hear His voice as we fast and pray and worship together. And that's what if you look at the life of Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, three, it continues to be a part of their ministry. Prayer and fasting continues to be a part. It's seen as a very important part of what they do as they establish churches and win converts to Christ. And what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 Verse 4, he puts fasting alongside purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, genuine love, the power of the Holy Spirit, and fasting. They're all put together in the same package. They are presented as part of the total thing that we have, the total equipment that we have as servants of Jesus. One of the weapons we have is fasting, just as prayer is a weapon, and worship is a, a means of grace where God speaks and changes us. And so lastly, how does fasting change us? And then we're going to break bread together. The first thing I want to say, I want to remind you that we can't live this Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It is impossible. (laughs) It just exhausts you if you're trying to do the right thing all the time on your own strength. Yeah? Religion is exhausting. It's terrible. I hate religion. I hate it. If there's one thing that I would like to be known for is that I was a man that kept people free free in the grace of God, free in the power of the Holy Spirit, free to love, free to give, not compelled in any way. Free. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Come on. Let's be known for people that are people of freedom, encouraging others because we're free and living freely so that others can come into the slipstream and find grace and freedom for their lives, not bondage, not religion, and it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. Come on. So what am I saying? I'm saying, as a Christian, the key is learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in your life so that you're not doing things out of your own strength, and He is doing things through you by the power of His, of His Spirit. And isn't that what Acts 1 verse 8 says? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We all need power, don't we? We need power for this life. We need power to overcome depression and temptation and sin and, and all the stuff, isn't it? Of course we do. And that comes by the power, not of our trying really hard, we do need discipline, but it comes by the anointing, the power, the release of the Holy Spirit on the inside, who suddenly makes things easy for us. Yes? This is the, the joy of the Christian life. And so... That's what uh, is spoken of in Acts 1 verse 8. That's the first thing I want to remind of you, you of, is that we need power by the Holy Spirit. The second thing is that the old carnal nature inside of every one of us opposes the Holy Spirit. Yep. The old car- car- the very essence of our old nature is that it doesn't yield to the Holy Spirit. The New Testament calls that the flesh, and I've spoken about this before. It's not just can mean your physical body, but it, it means the entire nature that we inherit from Adam, uh, the first rebel that there ever was, all right? first rebel that ever was, was Adam, and there's a rebel inside of all of us. But remember what Paul says in Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit is what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you, are not, you, you do what you do not want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is it's not a neutral ground here. Uh, the Holy Spirit is in opposition to the carnal nature. The carnal nature is in opposition to the Holy Spirit. And if we yield to the Holy Spirit, we are dealing with the old carnal nature. At the same time. And so that's why Paul says in Romans 8, the sinful mind, the old man, the old nature is hostile to God. Those are strong w- words. It's not neutral. There's an opposition that happens. And so what happens is that I could summarize this old, carnal, unregenerate soul in three little phrases. I want, I think, I feel. Yep. I want. Give yeah, me a good thing. I feel this. Isn't it amazing that, uh, what's the comedian's name again? The guy's, Russell Brand. I think our culture is, is amazingly hypocritical. In the 90s, that kind of culture was celebrated do what you want, be free. Liberate yourself, go, go, go! Have fun. Just now, we find actually that kind of behaviour damages people. Countless women. I want. I feel. I think. I'll do. I'm free. Sorry, was that too loud? No, Jesus speaks into that culture and says, "There's something above your desires, your will, your right to freedom." It's the kingdom of God and love for other people. And your love for others determines how you behave, what you value, what you do by the power of the Spirit. Amen? Come on. This is good news. And then what Paul says, uh, lastly, is that we put the old man to death. One of the ways we put the old man to death is by prayer by fasting, by worship. All these things help to put the old selfish nature to death. And then he says this in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25. Do you not know that I run the race in a way to win the prize? But only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It is about winning the prize is it is about becoming like Jesus. It is about seeing many people come in, into His kingdom. It is about all of these things and these things come as we follow the heart of God, as we humble ourselves, as we put Him first, as we seek Him with all of our hearts. In the, 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 those processes, the power of the Spirit liberates us from the inside. We start to live differently, see the world differently, treat other people differently because Jesus has lavished His grace on our lives. It starts with Him, it ends with Him, it's all about Him and we do it because we love Him. That's what it is, and so I'm asking you to come on Tuesday as a church where we just for three days are going to not focus on food. We can do it, people. Three days. We can fast for three days, and I want to say this. If you are diabetic or if you have a health problem, please be wise. I'm not trying to encourage anyone to be unhealthy, Uh, but uh, the majority of us are healthy, all right? Three days, we're going to humble ourselves. Three days when we feel those gnawing pains inside of us, we're going to say, Jesus, right now, as I'm hungry, physically, make me hungry for you and your kingdom and your people that we become more and more like you. Yeah, and we're going to pray for others. not just going to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray for our nation. We're going to pray for people to come to faith. We're going to pray for our friends and our family that are suffering, that have mental health issues, that need Jesus. We're going to pray for them in an unselfish way and say, it's not all about me right now, Jesus. This is all about you and your kingdom. And for this time, I'm focusing with all of my might. I'm drawing myself together. I'm saying, I want to do this for you. And I'm trusting as I do that you're going to do amazing things that I haven't even thought of or dreamed of. I'm not saying what those things should be. I just want you to do amazing things through my life. I want you to use me. Come on. That's worth fighting for. That's worth doing with all of our hearts. Okay? So Tuesday morning, enjoy Monday. And have a good meal on Monday night. And Tuesday, no pasta for three days. No wonderful Italian food for three days. And then we'll break the fast together at the end. All right, I want to encourage you. I can't force you. I can only encourage you to do this because you see the importance of it. That it's a means of grace for your own life. But whatever you're trusting for in your own life, trust that God is going to speak to you as you fast and as you pray, that your body would not be your master, but your spirit would be your master of your body. Amen.